and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Well, welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. I want to extend a very warm welcome to my friend and colleague, Dr. Todd Otten. Dr. Otten is a board certified family physician and co-founder of Our Quadruple Aim, a movement that challenges the status quo in healthcare and promotes patient experience, quality care, lower costs, and provider wellness. He has over 20 years of experience in providing quality patient care, leading teams and managing projects in various settings, including the United States Navy, where he was honored as a Naval Flight Surgeon of the Year in 2006 for the Atlantic Fleet. He is also the co-author of Ripple of Change, a book that shares his unfiltered journey through burnout and the existing dysfunction in healthcare and offers a bare bones approach to evaluate, reimagine and inspire positive disruption in the industry and even beyond. He is very passionate about empowering patients and healthcare providers to become agents of change and to turn their ripples into waves of lasting impact. Well, welcome Todd. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's an honor to have you. Oh, thanks so much, Katie. That was a very nice and warm welcome, and um, I'm super excited to be here. Oh, right. Well, we're just going to dig right in, and you know, one of the questions that I always like to ask my guests is your own journey with burnout and how that manifested for you and why you were inspired to write your most recent book. Absolutely. So my burnout occurred predominantly in uh 2019. Um, like many of us, I was one of those physicians who, quote unquote, wanted to save the world. And so at my critical access hospital, I had like every leadership position under the sun, uh, chief of staff and ACO medical director, and the list goes on and on, uh, which were all wonderful things. But when you add that to being a, a father for and you know, a soccer coach and on the board of the soccer club. And oh, by the way, seeing like 6,000 visits a year, it was a lot. And, you know, it got to the point where the, the EMR, the electronic medical record was starting to become a frustration as it is for many of us. Um, and I, I was vocal about things and, and wouldn't shy away from try, trying to facilitate positive change, which is probably where to how I got to where I am now, I suppose. Um, but the reality was there was a decision that was made where basically I had some pay withheld because I had two open charts, literally two open charts. And, you know, if you think about that, that's, that was just like a slap in the face. You know, here I am doing all this stuff, trying to lead by example. And I had two open charts and I think the administration thought they were trying to take a stand on something. I'm not really sure what they were trying to accomplish, to be quite honest with you. But I was already struggling at that point. I was I was angry at times. I was frustrated. Um, and when that happened, literally the wheels kind of came off the bus. I mm-hmm. I was ready to quit. I remember sitting in the backyard 
I'm looking, I get, I get choked up every time we talk about this. Cause, mm-hmm. um, I remember sitting in the backyard, just crying, you know, about the job I loved. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately I was able to work my way through that and have some time off, but you know, not all of our colleagues do. And that's a big part of my why now is we, this current trajectory with burnout and suicide and, and our colleagues exiting the healthcare system has got to change because, you know, if, if it continues, who's going to be left to see patients, you know? Um, so it's kind of, kind of the short version and I suppose kind of good insight as to my current why, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your personal story. And I mean, we we all have a story around burnout. It's impossible not to at this point. And, you know, you bring up a really good point, Todd, in that, you know, we go through all this training and when it doesn't take much. I mean, it it's it's like escalating over time slowly on a daily basis for years. And then that one small thing, like you had two open charts, which really isn't a lot anyway, because you could be actively working on them. And to have pay withheld had to have been just beyond a slap in the face. I mean, to me, it's not even, I I can't even like wrap my, my head around that reaction from administration, honestly. No, nor, nor could I, because I, you know, at the time I, I just, I was, I was floored. I mean, I, I went out of my way to try and do things the right way, you know, at board meetings, um, humor and promoting wellness and, and really, advocating for the quadruple aim at our institution and, and frankly we had a lot of traction that and, and the real crazy part of it was the hospital was doing well financially at the time it wasn't like we were struggling the hospital was doing well we were busting at the seams with patients providers for the most part were doing pretty good i would say mm-hmm. and then you had decisions like this and it was like what what, what are we doing here like what, what are we trying to accomplish right uh, it was just a very unique time Well, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you were inspired to write this book, Ripple of Change, and you did with um, Josh Judy. And he was a patient at the time, right? That's how you guys met. And um, he tells his own story and weaves it throughout the book as well. So I recommend that everyone please purchase this book and read it. It's wonderful. And I'll have all the links available on Todd's webpage. But um, can you just tell me a little bit about the quadruple aim and what your definition of that is? Do we have an understanding? Of course. Yeah. So the triple aim came about from IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in 2006. And I tend to oversimplify it a little bit. The the reality is it revolved around patient uh, experience, quality care, and lower costs. And a big component of that was related to population health. You know, and in its simplicity, I think it's genius. If you really think about it, that's really what we're trying to do as clinicians to achieve those three um, parts of the uh, aim, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. The issue becomes, I think, that in an unintended consequence was that was additional clerical burdens really from a documentation perspective, from a billing and coding perspective that just piled on to providers. And in 2014, Dr. Sinsky and Dr. Bodenheimer suggested that a fourth component be considered, which I simplified to provider wellness, which obviously is critical to really getting change at the highest levels and reversing some of these trends that are going on. So when Joshua and I were writing the book, um, it was 
we had this magical sort of yin and yang approach of discussing mm -hmm. things kind of back and forth. And I was really stuck on wanting the quadruple aim to be part of the title. Um, and I give a lot of credit to my co-author Joshua and his wife Megan for, Megan for saying, well, let's keep thinking about it. And they kind of kept dragging their feet a little bit. And then at one point, I don't even remember if it was Joshua or myself said, what about ripple of change? And I was like, that, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we're aspiring to. We want everyone to do something to improve the existing healthcare healthcare landscape, and and so at that point, that's when we morphed the quadruple aim into what we call our quadruple aim because we really feel like if everybody takes a little bit of ownership, and that could be at the office level, that could be at the system level, but you know that could be at the policy or legislative level too. If everyone does something, and there's 330 million of us, give or take. You know, in this country, if everybody did a little bit of something, wow, could we make some really positive change? Mm -hmm. And so that's how our quadruple aim came about. And if you think about it, when you, when you make decisions using that as your lens, you know, patient experience, quality care, lower costs and provider wellness. And I appreciate that not everybody likes the word provider. I, I get that. Mm -hmm. Change it. Use clinician, healthcare worker, human mm -hmm. being. Um when you focus, when you take those four tenets into consideration, the majority of stakeholders win, as opposed to a lot of what happens now, where it's, it's really just a few people who are winning in the current landscape. Mm -hmm. I I wholeheartedly agree with you, Todd, and I um, I like that you call it our quadruple aim because it does put some ownership on everyone. And, you know, as we're having these discussions nationally right now and how to redesign healthcare systems, it really takes everyone understanding what is possible and what are evidence-based strategies for provider well-being. And it's not just relying solely on administrative staff, it's relying on us too to show up every day and, and hold them accountable for decisions and uh, repair work. So I really like the idea of our quadruple aim. Well, thanks. And, and to piggyback on that, Katie, you know, I think all the studies that are out there, all the data that look at mm -hmm. provider, clinician, and physician well-being show that when, when those that are delivering care are doing well, there are better outcomes. It's more cost effective. Patients have a better experience. You know, and I think back to just the, the, the microcosm of when I was struggling, the amount of negative effects that occurred that radiated out from me, just one person to the staff and patients. Oh, it, it makes me sick to think about it. Um, you know, and even still today, some six years later, someone that I was really good friends with that, unfortunately that friendship kind of dissolved over that time period. And, and I don't think it was either one of our wants or faults necessarily. I, what happened was when I suddenly wasn't in the office, all that work, just basically got dumped on the other providers. I mean, can you imagine a busy family physician who sees 6,000 visits a year and all of a sudden they're not doing any of that work and it gets dumped in your lap? Holy smokes. I mean, that's not right. That's not fair. And so, yeah, I mean, the studies show that when we're doing well, that the system is better off for it. Well, yeah, so... Is there, you know, while we're still kind of touching on your book, are there, is there any, any messaging in your book that you want to share with our audience today that you want to particularly highlight for us? 
Yeah, sure. So maybe two parts to this uh, answer, I suppose. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the book, uh, and sorry, Joshua, it's one of my chapters, I guess I'm biased there. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> ROI for a health system. Okay. In that chapter, I offer uh, 10 low or no cost challenges for administrators to consider. And really, it's focusing on, excuse me, focusing on um, improvement in culture, well-being, etc. For example, one of them is kindness and kudos. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost anything to be kind to your colleagues, to smile and offer congratulations when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. But then it, it goes on to talk about several other um, initiatives, if you will, that, that really are of minimal cost. And in one of the quotes from that chapter um, is, I, I make the case that if a wellness, a chief wellness officer can retain one physician in a five-year period, that position will have paid for itself because the current estimates are about half a million to a million dollars to replace a physician. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, you know, you hire a chief wellness officer and they can keep just one, maybe they keep two or three from leaving your institution. Man, the ROI on that was two, three X, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is I'm working on a, a keynote uh, speech that I'm going to actually deliver to a, a small and medium-sized institution out West in January. And I'm super excited about it because it's called the power of one plus one. And really the idea behind the talk is going to be to inspire and empower people at a smaller level mm -hmm. through relationship building, through looking at the status quo and when appropriate, questioning it, challenging it, trying to improve it. And if this can be done at a smaller institution and replicated, I would love to see those notions go to the highest levels to get more systemic change. Mm -hmm. So yeah, two parts to that answer. Um, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, you know, I think you bring up a really good point about us just really taking personal responsibility, I think, for what's happening. And, you know, I have been a burned out physician. I, I was disgruntled. I've almost left healthcare altogether probably over five times in my life since I graduated residency. And what I've come to the conclusion is, is that it, it's such a waste to even think about leaving healthcare because of all the training and knowledge I've invested two decades now into a career. And so I've, you know, myself, I had to work with coaches and redesign how I can show up in healthcare that's going to be a healthier way for me, have healthier teams, healthier work environments, whatever I was needing as a psychiatrist. And it's made a huge difference. And also understanding that maybe doing clinical work full time in the current setting is not sustainable for a balanced life. So finding other ways to still, you know, be a doctor and show up in healthcare, whether it's leadership, administration, investing, it could be mentoring, teaching, other things. So um, I definitely wanted to touch touch on that with you today too, because I think it's important for physicians to hear that they're there isn't just one way to be a doctor and there isn't one one way for everyone. And if what you're doing is already burning you out, which for most it is already the first year out of residency, um, to really get help, reach out, get a coach, talk to your mentor, uh, find a way to stay in healthcare because we need you now more than ever. I think that's a great point. And 
you know, when I stepped away after seeing patients for a little over 20 years, it was not a just a snap decision. There was a lot that had went had gone into that. And, and frankly, the thing that I missed the most in, in the last year or so is that direct patient care that I, I loved seeing patients. It was such a joy. It was all the other stuff that is mm-hmm. I'm pre- preaching to the choir here that yep. drives us all nuts, right? That creates <laughs> the moral injury. And yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, all that. Yeah, I just read a, another thing that said like clinicians spend twice as much time doing non-clinical activities as they do clinical activities. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a huge issue, but there are ways to pivot and still do something within mm-hmm. our healthcare system. And I think it, you make a great point that we are all part of this. We all own a little piece of this. We can't just point fingers because it's a collective, right? And to so just maybe just a couple examples of, of things that can be done. Maybe it's telehealth. You know, maybe you go into a direct uh, care model where you're, you're cutting out some of that institutional administrative burden that's frustrating for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's wonderful books out there that talk exactly how to do this. I've got a stack of books in front of me, private practice, direct primary care. In fact, I might do a little bit of DPC or direct primary care next year, just because I, I miss seeing patients a little bit, but there's a difference between trying to take care of a few hundred people versus like 3000 people. Um, And so that's just one thing you can do. Maybe it's part-time advocacy. Maybe it's writing, you know, Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's mentoring. There are many other things that could fill up your cup. So it doesn't have to be completely 100% direct care. Find that balance. And you know what? There's a lot of us out there who have taken this calculated risk or this leap of faith that are doing some of these other things. Um, so hop on LinkedIn. Look for one of us. We'll be glad to try and help guide you in the right direction. Or, you know, if we don't know how to do it. We probably know someone that does. Um, so, Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, Todd, you have, I mean, you have your, you have your hands in a lot of different, um, projects right now. And I know that you're doing some work with medicine forward. Can you talk with us a little bit about what you are doing on the other side to help advocate for well-being in healthcare? For sure. And I love how you framed that, that idea, you know, so my days are just incredible because there are so many wonderful people out there in this country who want to change the existing issues or facilitate some progress at least. And what I've noticed is we've got a wonderful initiative here and a a wonderful group over here and a wonderful group over here. And part of what I see my role is trying to help connect some of those dots. Mm-hmm. And with a group like Medicine Forward in particular, who is a grassroots physician organization, but ultimately we're looking to consolidate, um, amplify those voices so that it's not just one or two of us talking about reforming prior auths or reducing rates of suicide, but that there's thousands of us unified and marching in a direction to make change. So that's a big part of what I'm doing. And and just to name a couple other groups that I've been associated with, the Global Health uh, Impact Network uh, is a fascinating group of a network of networks. Um, I've had the opportunity to be involved with Remote Area Medical a little bit, which is a, a, a volunteer organization that delivers free medical care. Uh, I mean, 
that's incredible, but it speaks to why are we having tractor trailer trucks set up a camp to deliver free medical care in this country of overabundance? Why is that happening? Mm. You know, why are physicians like myself wanting to go volunteer to do that as a for free as opposed to go get a paid job? you know, and, and be frustrated. It's, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so blowing up those silos, I think is going to be a big part mm -hmm. of this and getting those excited voices for change together. Uh, I just love it. It's music. It's music to my ears when I think about it. Well, and so can you give us like an example of maybe one thing that Medicine Forward is working on or that you're trying to do within that organization? Uh, I can't, I, I'll, how about I allude to one, if you will, because okay. it's not, it's not completely public. Um, and, I, and I'll uh, maybe put it under the auspices of I, I joined a, um, a meeting uh, this past Monday with a resident, a couple medical students, um, Brian Sexton, who's kind of a guru with with wellness out of Duke, I believe. And we just had a nice conversation about sort of this well-being or wellness social contagion. And how do we how do we foster that? How do we make it go to the next level? We discuss T-shirts and pink socks, and we laughed. I might have thrown in a dad joke in there, which <laughs> I won't reiterate. Um, but the the point I'm making is there's another project that goes um, far beyond that to really get the voices out to what we anticipate might be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people with the ultimate goal of really making a big impact in physician suicide rates. Mm. Uh, so I don't want to overstep my bounds and, and say too, too much. I perhaps already did, but, you know, so it's exciting to be involved in projects like that where, you know, they're looking to really, they're looking to shake it up. Mm -hmm. And, and that just is amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, you know, you bring up a really good point, Todd, because, you know, our healthcare system is very siloed leadership, is siloed, departments are siloed across the healthcare systems. And then we have this well-being movement pop up the past 20 years, but especially the past like five to 10. And now it's just ballooning, you know, and there's all these different startup companies in the tech world and in the systems design world and in the flow and, and using AI and all this. And I'm watching all of this and I'm feeling similarly to you in that, you know, I think it's important for us to, as we're designing this healthcare movement, the social movement, to have consistent languaging and consistent evidence-based practices that we're promoting as a culture. So we're not, so it's not, again, not repeating what's happening in healthcare with everything being siloed and not communicating and overlapping. hundred percent. And we actually, you know, in the book, Joshua and I talk about our quadruple aim being for healthcare and beyond. You know, we give examples related to education, architecture, soccer coaching. We make a comparison to soccer coaching. You know, and a lot of it comes down to, to things we learned as kids. You know, like the relationships are important. Treating each other well and with respect is important. You know, it's not all about, about the almighty dollar, if you will. Um, and I did want to make one other important point regarding wellness. It can't, it can't be lip service. It cannot be a, a box checking exercise. It has to be true top down cultural belief that that is part of how you deliver care. And when that happens, it's amazing. 
And the other part of that, too, what I've seen, at least anecdotally, you know, whether it's office system or even at the ACO level, when you pay attention to that stuff, patients want to be there. And when patients are there, they tend to be patients for life. Mm -hmm. And the dollars kind of just naturally follow along. It's it's kind of like, well, well, yeah, if you're treating us well, you know, we're going to want to come back. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I was an early adopter to the quadruple aim and having lived it for the better part of six or seven years, I, I see the validity of that. And, and when I was in an institution where I was on the same page with the administration, you know, at the highest levels, it was incredible. When you have these divides between between the administrative side of the house and the you know clin clinical side of the house, it creates tons and tons of problems. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think the thing that gets lost sometimes is we're all driving. We're ultimately where we should be, or are driving towards those same goals. And so, whether if those walls are in your institution, find that change agent that can help tear down that wall. You know, and when it's torn down everyone's probably going to do better, including the administrators, because many of them are just as burned out, you mm -hmm. know? So how do, how do, let's say as physicians, how do we go about finding that change agent within an administration that can make a difference? Absolutely. So I think ha having simple conversations is, is probably the way to go. Um, whether it's at a meeting, talk about wellness and see whose eyes perk up or, or maybe who's, you know, loses that deer in the headlights sort of look and, and, and shows some genuine interest and maybe have a conversation there. And that's where the power of one plus one can be incredible because you can start to get some traction. And, and I, I've seen this happen. I talk about in the book where for six months I was, a, you know, an army of one, if you will, talking about well-being in our critical access hospital. But then everyone started paying attention. And all of a sudden, people were asking me about it. And all of a sudden, people wanted to be involved. And then the next thing, you know, physicians were volunteering for physicians to help things. You know, so the key is to find that change agent, um, that one other person that is kind of thinking in the same mold or mindset as you. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then have a conversation and then do something. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's you send out a nice email to a bunch of people or you know, uh, bring cookies to a staff meeting or something. I don't know. I mean, that's a simple example. We actually played board games one time at a staff meeting. Everybody thought I was crazy. And I'm like, what's the worst thing that can happen? If we play, you know, Yahtzee for a couple hours and people think I'm insane. They, you know, they probably think I'm insane already. So let's go for it. And it was incredible. Some of the conversations that occurred while well, we just sat around and enjoyed each other's company and played sorry and things of that nature. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. it, it truly was. The smiles were everywhere. Well, I mean, you're talking about community building, and that's one of the ways to offset the drivers of burnout. And that got taken away from us because I know a lot of hospitals got rid of the doctor's lounges, and we used to, you know, have a place to go as physicians where we could commune with each other and have those sideline conversations. So it makes sense that you're saying maybe look for an opportunity to do that and, and be open to where the conversations might lead. Um, yeah, I think in its in its simplest form, I think that's the place to start. And, you know, in the book, we talk about many other things that could take it much beyond that. But, you know, a lot of people are afraid and a lot of people are concerned about their job. And I totally respect all that. And I think that's a simple way without taking on a huge component of risk to tr really start to get some traction for some positive change. Mm -hmm. 
So what advice do you have for a physician that's listening in today that is really struggling with burnout and, and considering just leaving, doing something different, going in insurance, getting on the You know what? Uh, sorry about the kid. I didn't mean to interrupt oh, no, you there. Good. Um, good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think um, I thought about, I get this, I get asked this question a lot. And I think one of the most powerful underutilized tools is the word no. Hmm. We are taught in school to just do more, work harder, put the patient first. And that's often at the expense of, of self-care. Um we all have to get better at saying no. And yeah, sure, there might be some risk with that at, at some time. But the reality is if if you as a provider or clinician or physician aren't doing well, the person you're trying to care for is not getting your best at all. Um, so learn that word. And I would challenge you to find an opportunity within the next days or weeks or, or have you to use it. Take something off your plate. That would be my top tip. Well, when you do that, then you definitely have room to actually think about what you want, right? But if we're in survival mode or we're just running from patient to patient at work and at home, we're taking care of our families and then we have the pajama time with the EMR documentation, it's, we don't really have time to think about, you know, what we want to do and where our passion is. And it get, we get, it's easy to get lost down that rabbit hole, I think. So I definitely, and as a psychiatrist, I'm all about setting boundaries and saying no. <laughs> so that, was, that was a very difficult word for me to learn how to use. And I even had training in it. And <laughs> it was still very hard as a physician to say no to, you know, leadership positions and extra activities because you think that it's going to build your resume. <clears throat> and you think that, oh, if I say yes, then I'll get promoted or this is what I need to do as a physician or this is my duty. And what it's really doing is just like tearing yourself into pieces. And um, I interviewed Dr. Tom Mayer. He's the medical director for um, the NFL. And um, I liked what he said. He said, you know, don't build a resume, focus on building and nurturing relationships and community. And I love that. I love that. that I awesome. love that too. And it really hit me hard. It was in his book. And then he said it on my podcast. And I thought, you know, we're just, it's drilled into us to keep building your resume, keep building, add this activity, add this subcommittee, add this role. But it's really not about that. And that's the thing is he said he, he took, always took his approach to building and nurturing relationships. And he had a friend who called him and said, Hey, we need a medical director for the NFL. And so it was like a personal relationship that opened the door for him with his own leadership uh, role. So I think I really like that idea because we've gone so far away from building and nurturing relationships and community. We, we've gone the other direction in healthcare. Well, and I think, I think the relationships and the network and, and, and connecting these groups is is going to be key for facilitating change at the highest level. So I 100% agree with that, Senator. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I do have another question. So if anyone listening today wants to get involved in Medicine Forward, what's the best way for them to, to contact you guys? Oh, for sure. And I should... You know, show my shirt here. <laughs> <see you. laughs> You've got the brand on. It's good. Yeah, there you go. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, so medicineforward.org 
uh, is the place to go uh, if you're looking to join our organization. Or you can always contact uh, myself on LinkedIn and I can point you in the right direction for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I know Todd, we're wrapping up, but I didn't know if there was anything else that you wanted to address with our audience today or any last key message that you wanted to leave with them. Yeah, I think um, oftentimes we we lose um, sight of how powerful the doctor-patient relationship is or can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was still seeing patients, I would often um, say that you know, we're a team. It's not just me dictating what you as the patient need to be doing, but I want your input. I need to hear from you. I need to listen to you. I need to pay attention to you. Um, and, and it was just, it was amazing. And I think the, the evolution of the book with Joshua speaks to that. So I think in the end, we, we have to remember that as we're in these relationships, we're all human beings. The vast majority of us are trying to do the right thing and to make things better. Um, and we can't forget how sacred that bond is between the doctor and the patient. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we went into medicine. And that's what brings us joy in medicine is connecting with our patients and connecting with each other. So I, I love that you're ending on that message. <laughs> well, I, this was a blast. I, I love talking about this stuff. I, I appreciate you having me. And um, yeah, here's to, here's to blowing up some silos in healthcare. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Todd. I'm doing, I'll do whatever <laughs> I can as well. So for all of you listening, you know, thank you so much for tuning in. And Todd, thank you again for a wonderful conversation. And um, everyone, if you have a chance, check out his book, Ripple. I'm sorry, I'm fading in the background here, but it's Ripple of Change. And I will have um, that information up on his webpage. And we'll also have that in the posting information as well. So um, thank you so much, Todd. And, and thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you have a great rest of your week.